listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. You know, yeah, I've got some of those too. I can remember the drive to Fort Smith. Uh, we always had Christmas at home. We'd get out and we'd go to the grandparents' house and just walking into their uh, foyer or whatever you call that front room with the plastic-covered couch, uh, seeing the presents all around the tree, uh, all my cousins there going out in the backyard and playing yard darts, uh, trying to impel each other with those. Those are just some memories that have really stuck with me uh, over the years. I remember uh, one memory is when uh, Marla got a stocking added to our family and uh, I still remember that time. Experiencing Christmas as a parent, you've got all those memories. Uh, when my family gets together, uh, we've started playing games. In fact, this is one of my favorite ones, um, is my 70-year-old parents allowing themselves to be dressed up as snowmen uh, by, their, by their grandkids. And so, man, that's just a great memory of a, them doing that. You know, so much around Christmas does revolve around the idea of gifts and gift giving. And Marla mentioned one, just... Opening those presents, knowing what it took for her parents to give her these two gifts. So I'm wondering, do you have one of those? Just a favorite gift that you remember, maybe as a child, maybe as an adult. Maybe it was something you desperately wanted and you saw them come through. Or maybe it was something, like Marla mentioned, you know that came as a great sacrifice. That they're going to have to give up things for me to have this. So maybe it was something that was kind of passed down from generation to generation, and it came your time where you received that. Well, I have one of those favorite gifts. Um, I was 11 years old, 1984. Uh, we're in my parents' living room with the plastic-covered couch, and uh, we're all sitting around, and I've got this rectangular box sitting on my lap, and I have no idea what it is. And I remember it finally came my turn, and, man, I ripped the paper off of that box, and when I looked down... It symbolized something for me. It was this moment where I was kind of moving past some of the gifts like Legos. Well, you never really move past Legos. But, you know, past my He-Man and my Transformers uh, action figures and that kind of stuff. That this gift symbolized me kind of getting older. When I opened up that box, it was a brand new uh, Savage Single Shot 20 gauge. I'd gone through all the hunter safety course. I had my little certificate and I remember opening that up, but it's what happened the next day. We go back home, and uh, we wake up, it's the day after Christmas. You know, everybody's playing with all their toys. And, uh, man, all I could think about was that gun. And, man, I, I would have given anything to get to go out and to hunt something. My brother, you know, anything at that point. We're eating breakfast, and my dad walks out, and he's dressed. And, man, I remember thinking, man, my dad's probably getting called in. My dad was a pastor. He was kind of on call at all hours, helping lots of people. I figured, man, he's got to go into the office or he's going somewhere to help other people. And he looked at me and he said, are you ready to go squirrel hunting? And I'm telling you, I never got dressed so fast in my life. And I can remember getting in his 1973 Ford Bronco um, driving out to some land that he had permission to and getting out, going through, reviewing all the safety things, uh, slight dusting of snow on the ground. And man, here's me and my dad 
out together. And I can still, I mean, it's almost like you can still smell the things around you. You can hear the same sounds of going on because that memory is so seared into my brain. Because I knew my dad was busy. I knew he had a lot of responsibility. Uh, He got called out at odd hours and he truly cared for people. And he was always willing to kind of go above and beyond. But I think what made that gift so special and still memorable today was just being with him. That he was giving me really something so much better. In fact, I still have that gun today. So much better than that gun. He was giving me really his presence. And I'll never forget that day. And so as great as that gift is to me, today we're going to see something that's even greater. In fact, if we pulled all of our favorite presents uh, from all times, this gift we're going to see today It would not compare to it. So turn with me to John chapter 1. So for the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the birth narratives. Uh, We saw it in Matthew. Last week, Clint led us through the very familiar one of Luke. But John's is really unusual. You see, all of the Gospels, all of them begin with Jesus. You got Matthew. He gives us the genealogy. And then he goes right to the birth. Mark is always in a hurry. It's probably why I was named that way. Always in a hurry. And he's always ready to get to Jesus' baptism. And that's what Mark does. Well, Luke, Luke begins with the foretelling, the, the foretelling of the birth of Jesus by Gabriel and the announcement to Mary. But John is different. And the reason is because Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they want to tell us what happened at the very first advent. But John wants to tell us why the advent occurred. So let's begin in John chapter 1 and verse 1. Because notice where John begins. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was in the beginning with God. John goes all the way back before even creation in Genesis. He's taking us way back. And it's because John wants to emphasize something about Jesus Christ. And all the Gospels do it. When you read through Matthew, you know what Matthew wants you to get? He wants you to see. He wants you to see Jesus as the king. Then you read through Mark. Mark wants you to see Jesus as the servant. Luke, he wants you to see Jesus in All his humanity. But John wants us to see Jesus as God. Because look at the next several verses. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But all who did receive him who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born, not of blood, 
nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of men, but of God. So notice all that John wants you to see about Jesus being God. He describes him as the one, he says, created everything. Jesus is the one who, he says, is life and is the light of men. In fact, John the baptizer was the witness to them. The one, he says, is the true light. The only one, he says, can give light to men and the only one that can give the right to become children of God. Well, then John brings us to the first advent in verse 14. And he simply says, and the word became flesh. I mean, there's no announcement from the angel. There's no Mary and Joseph. There, there's no wise men. There's no shepherds. There's no baby in a manger. It's because John wants us to know and to see this. That Jesus did not just appear to be a man. He became one. But he also came to do something. And notice what it says. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And this word dwell, it's interesting. It, it means uh, in their time it would have been the word tabernacled. Not something we use uh, regularly or the word tented. Meaning that Jesus came to set up camp. He, he came to set up residence. That He did not just become flesh and then live this secluded, all alone life. He became flesh to live among us. And what John is doing, he's taking them back to a memory. Not one that they lived in, but one they would have heard about time and time again, year after year. It was a memory that was seared into the minds of people that then told their children and their children and their children. Do you remember the time that Israel was freed from bondage in Egypt? God made him a promise. He said, I'm going to give you a land, a, a promised land, a permanent land that will be yours forever. It's described as a land is flowing with milk and honey of great blessing. But before they entered the promised land, they had to go through something. For an entire generation, God takes them through the desert. I think oftentimes the way to blessing, the journey to an ultimate, a, a beautiful blessing, comes through hardship and difficult times. And Israel lived that. But God didn't just send them out into the wilderness all alone. He gave Moses some very specific instructions about something. He told Moses to build a structure. You know what that structure is called? It's called the tabernacle. This structure was where the presence of God would dwell. Wherever they would camp, the tabernacle was put in the middle of where the people were camped. So even though they were in the wilderness, God was with them and he was leading them and guiding them and, and teaching them and protecting them on their way to their home. And isn't that just a great picture that you and I, man, we're not home yet. We're living in a wilderness on our way home. 
There's going to be many hardships. There'll be lots of troubles before ultimate blessing comes. But God has done something. God came to be a part of us, that he would put his tent in our backyard. And he does it so he is close to us, so we can have interaction with him, so he can lead and and guide and teach and protect us. But I want us to see how he comes and dwells with us. Look at how he continues in verse 14. And we have seen his glory. Glory as only of the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Exactly what we sang about this morning, John displays for us. Jesus is going to display two things. First of all, God the Father can only be seen through Jesus. That's the only way we can know him and experience him is through his Son. And his Son comes to display two things, truth and grace. Grace is that word we hear a lot about, that undeserved and unearned, unachievable favor. That remember that even being able to know God is a form of his grace to us. That we don't deserve that and we would never ever be able to earn it. That we're just like Israel. We've turned our backs on God. We're born rebellious into this life and we come into this life and we continue to grow and to see God as an absolute enemy that we don't even deserve to know him. But he also brings truth. That everything that Jesus displays, meaning it is true, it is right, and it is faithful. That everything that Jesus reveals can be trusted. And John, the fisherman, He's telling us that John the baptizer, that he is the one that comes to the people to remind them that God wants to use humanity, that he came to them to dwell among him, to display those same things to the world. And this man living in a wilderness, everybody thought was crazy, dressed in camel's hair, eating honey, This man was to come to display truth and grace to others. The same calling that we have today. Because look at verse 15. John bore witness about him, the same truth and grace. And he cried out, this was he of whom I've said. Who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And John is about to use the next three verses to show us what the Son's coming in the flesh and dwelling among us does. Look at verse 16. He says, He for Jesus from his fullness. And I love this phrase when we think about Christmas that Jesus Christ came as a helpless little baby. Wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. That helpless baby. But in him is absolutely no deficit. It says he came from the fullness. Meaning God the Father put all of his resources behind the incarnation. That God put all that he had and all that he is in sending Jesus. 
And then God's fullness in the incarnation brings us something. We have all received grace upon grace. This phrase has got this meaning if you've ever stood and watched the ocean. Doesn't matter what time of day you stand there. It is wave after wave after wave. Some of them are big. Some of them are really small. But it's day and night and it never ever ends. Meaning that you and I, we will never come to the end of God's grace. In fact, you'll never, you could never out his forgiveness. You could never mess things up so bad that God isn't going to show you more and more grace. That he'll never come to the end. We will never come to the end of God showing grace upon grace to us. But in those ways of grace, there's a danger. I think the danger is to easily take God's grace for granted. Man, it is so easy to get self-centered. It's so easy to get prideful. It's so easy to notice the faults in everyone else and all the things that are going wrong that we can easily take his grace for granted. But now notice his other thought in verse 17. He said, for the law was given through Moses. Grace, and there it is again, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so notice this, and you can get this. Grace and truth came through who? But what does it say? Jesus Christ. And that's something subtle, but we don't want to miss it. That God's blessing was first only to Israel, but now his blessing came to be received by everyone through who it says, Jesus Christ. This name, Jesus Christ, why that is so interesting, it is the only time this is used. Every time except now that is used, it's in reference to Jesus Christ. And you know when? It's after his resurrection. That's the only time except now that that reference of Jesus Christ is used. You go, wait, aren't we talking about Jesus, you know, the cute little baby wrapped in swallowing clothes, lying in a manger? Absolutely. But being born in the manger, becoming flesh, the incarnation, yes. But here's John's point. The coming of Jesus Christ is the ultimate gift of God. But this gift is not just a baby born in Bethlehem. That Jesus is coming. Yes, it includes being born of a virgin in a stable, in a manger. But wrapped up in that baby is also his life, his death, his resurrection, his exaltation, and his return as king. The entire Christ Advent. In fact, last year we published some Advent booklets. And I've never forgotten this image that someone wrote in one of those devotionals. And it said this. It said, as you picture the original nativity scene, take that moment, the animals around, the wise men, the shepherds, young Mary and Joseph, and that little baby wrapped in swallowing clothes, lying in a manger. But next to that little baby, 
Place two spikes in that baby's soft pink fist and lay another at his squirming little feet. Jarring as it may be, that's the message of God's gift to the world. A message to all who long for healing of the spirit, healing from the ravages of sin. In fact, Paul Tripp says it this way. Although he had to be carried in the arms of Mary, Jesus came into the world with a full weight of sin and redemption on his shoulders. And this is why John uses this post-resurrection name. The, the birth of Jesus is the best gift God the Father could ever give because it includes every event that Jesus would experience, especially the cross. That his becoming flesh and dwelling among us would be meaningless without his death. And here's what the Christmas brings us. Look at verse 18. The greatest gift. No one has ever seen God. The only God. Who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Because when you read through the Old Testament. You discover what they saw as the greatest of all blessings. In their minds the greatest of all blessings. The best present anyone could receive. One time you see it in number six. He says, the Lord bless you and keep you. It's a blessing to the people. And notice what the blessing is. That the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Or you read about it in Psalm 67, one that says, may God be gracious to us. And bless us. And here it is. And to make his face shine upon us. Having God look upon them was the greatest of all blessings. There isn't a blessing. There isn't a gift in their minds that would ever compare to God looking upon you. But no one can look upon the face of God and live. In fact, in the life of Moses in Exodus 33, you know what Moses asked God of one thing? He wants God to look upon him. He wants to be able to see his glory. But what does God do? He has to hide him in the crack of a rock and just pass by him. When Moses is up on the mountain and God is about to display his presence, the children of Israel and even their animals could not come to the bottom and touch the mountain and live. And it was something they desperately wanted. They desperately desired. It was the greatest of all blessings. But they couldn't have it. That God's presence was viewed as the greatest of all blessings. So in order for us to receive the greatest blessing of God's presence, God had to do something. And he did. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Since we could never get to God because of our sin, God came 
to us. But I've been asking this question all week. I know in theory, man, it sounds good, and I heard some audible, you know, agreements with that, but doesn't, shouldn't this absolutely mean something? Just this past week, we, or two, two weeks ago, we were watching one of those music Christmas fest or specials on TV. In fact, there was this group, and they're unbelievable, with their voices named Pentatonics. And no musical instruments, it's just their voices, and they're unbelievable to listen to. And here they are singing about the coming and the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know where any of them stand in reference to Christ, but you almost saw it artist after artist after artist. And I couldn't help but to think about how many people go through Christmas, go through this season. And for some, it's just nothing more than a sentimental thought. I wonder, do they even know what they're singing about? Do they believe it? Because here's the problem. The birth of Jesus Christ, it seems to get thrown in and grouped in with everything else. Gets thrown in with Elf and the Grinch that stole Christmas and Wonderful Life. And these incredible groups singing these songs that I think make people feel good. But the first coming of Christ is not simply just a, another great story to think about at Christmas time. Or to sing about. The coming of Christ is the pivotal moment in which every human soul stands. In fact, I would say we don't simply need to just put Christ back into Christmas with everything else. We need to allow Christmas to be all about him. So how does all of this mean something? I think one of the things with this, this has been such an unusual and a strange year filled with all kinds of things. And so next week, I, I want to pick a passage that's going to talk about some of those things that we've been through. Because here's the point. I know everybody's ready to get to 2021. But what do we do if it's not any better? What do we do if it's actually worse? So how does this mean something? I think 2020, it has brought on many challenges. We don't know, not know what 2021 will bring. But thousands of years ago, God could have left humanity to figure it all out on their own. He could have left them forever wandering in the wilderness. He could leave us in this life with absolutely no real purpose. And he could have left us in our sin. But he came and he still dwells in those who believe in his son. So how does this mean something? I think it's this. is no matter what you might be dealing with or going through or struggling with or will in the next few months and years. No matter what it is, he's still dwelling. He hasn't left us. And we are never, ever alone. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.